Well, welcome to church. Uh, and I can't say anymore, welcome to the summer of love. Summer is almost over. We're not speaking on that anymore. But I can say, welcome to love is a verb. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk, uh, start talking about today. In fact, we're be- I was going to say we're beginning a new series, but we're, it's not really a new series because we kind of started it last week with uh, Steve and Amanda talking to us about human trafficking and and all of the good work that they are doing um, at Rescue Hill. And uh, I just would ask that you uh, continue to pray for them as they work through the things that they're doing there. And um, to do the type of work and ministry that they're doing, there's a lot of red tape. And so um, just pray for them. And, and uh, if that's something you want to be involved in or interested in, then let me know. We can uh, work out how to uh, get there and help them as well, which is part of all that we've been talking about. <coughs> we've been talking about love for a while. Um, this year for me has been a very different kind of year. In, in the beginning, God uh, gave me an instruction to talk about um, His Holy Spirit, and that was just an amazing journey for me, and I hope for you too. Uh, His Holy Spirit and glory and all of the, the things involved in that, it was amazing. And then he also, uh, after that, he kind of directed me to really begin to talk about love. And I can see how things flow together because um, his Holy Spirit, as, as he lives in us, and God is love, right? Then we are full of his love. We need to know what love is and, and what love looks like. So we spent um, a long time talking about that. And uh, then as we got into that, I was asking God, where should we go now? Uh, What are we going to do? And he directed me to this way. So the thing about love is this. Just to remind you, it cannot stay with us. You remember John 13, 34, we talked about it uh, almost every week, that Jesus said to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, his love cannot stay with us. It comes to us, and it must go from us. We become conduits of his grace. You understand a conduit, a pass-through, a flow-by. His, his love comes to us and then goes to others. That's how they experience His love. Without that, they wouldn't know. It has to flow out. And if you want to know what happens when something doesn't flow out, we need only to look at the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has uh, no outflow. It only has an inflow. And as such, there's nothing alive in it because the minerals are so... The water evaporates, minerals stay... That's why the Dead Sea is kind of a a famous place to go visit because people like to float. You can float so easy in it, which um, we're not talking about that today, but, you know, squirrel. So uh, uh, speaking of, as I get into this before, I'm so excited. I jumped the gun a little bit. I want to let everybody know that um, the ministry we've started called Uplift, uh, which we were partnered with the Farmers to Families. We had a grant to do that for a time. That ended. And so many of you have been gracious and generous enough to to give food which you've seen the bins out in the in the um, lobby there that uh, we're able to continue to do this ministry um, so uplift we're going to have another one Saturday uh, Saturday uh, the time is from 9 to 11 but really we show up at about 8 15 to get things ready to get organized and situated and people actually if um, if you've been here to any of them they begin to come very early so if you want to be a part of that uh, we have that going on. Also, as I get into today, today's message, if you'd like to follow along on the, the sermon notes today, go to the Bible app, or um, you can go to the church's app. Just 
uh, search up uh, Lantana Church in the app store and you'll get there. So anyway, so um, I want to start off today and I want to say this. And if you've been around me and if I've had conversations with you, then you know this is true. Today, what I'm going to talk about has nothing to do with politics. So please do not bring politics into this. Uh, also, I don't want to talk about um, uh, sociology, which I don't know if you guys know. That was my degree at uh, SNU. I got my Bachelor of Science in Sociology. So that's of interest to me, but that's not what we're talking about today. Also, I don't want to talk about economics. That's not the intention here. What I want to do today is begin to shed some light today and then through this series on social justice and the gospel. I want to, um, I just want to take a look at this and, and what it means. Our society has really began to talk about social justice a lot in the last few years, um, and especially uh, very much recently about social justice. It's become a buzzword, but I want to ask the question today and drill down on this. What is social justice? What does that mean? The scripture that I'm going to be basing this on today is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. And it says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Seems pretty simple, right? Let me give you a little context here. In context, Isaiah the prophet is reminding the nation of Israel what God wants for them where he wants them to go, what he wants them to do. And this is something that in latter years, before they were uh, taken over by Babylon, in latter years, they had really forgotten. So this is a warning to them. He's telling them, this is what you must do. You must learn to do good. The problem is they weren't, they weren't doing good at all. If you read the, the Old Testament, you read through the history of what was going on with the nation of Israel, then you'll see that. So God tells them they have to learn to do good. They have to seek justice. And they have to learn to do these things all over again. Moreover, they needed to correct the oppression that was causing harm and neglect to the fatherless and to the widows who had no ability in that culture to seek justice for themselves when the orphans and the widows are neglected this is what God says about it through James that you are not doing pure religion James 127 for pure religion is this says the Lord to take care I'm paraphrasing of the widows and the orphans so not only so don't get also confused and say oh that's an Old Testament thing not at all and if anything uh, God and Jesus turned the screws up a little bit in the New Testament. Knowing this, some would say that it's the church's responsibility to be involved in social justice. I mean, it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but again, what exactly is social justice? This is, uh, and social justice for me, having been I got my degree in sociology is nothing new we talked about it a lot but as we talk about becoming conduits of God's grace and as we talk about showing physical expressions of God's love I think it's important that we have a good baseline a good understanding of what it is we're going to be talking about and so what I want to do is explore social justice 
and, and see if that is a way for us as Christians to move forward by expressing the love of God. All right, so let's just go back to a definition. Social justice defined. The original definition, according to the New Oxford Dictionary, is this. Justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Now, I would say that this definition is what probably half of you think about when you think of social justice. In fact, when you think of social justice, you think, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say something about working for your wage? In fact, it does. If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, paraphrasing again, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, what Paul's telling the church in Thessalonica, don't get confused with this, is that as the church is taking care of people and doing things, he tells them that those who are too lazy to work, you don't have to worry about them as much. Uh, but go in and read it for yourself. I'm just saying that if you've heard that scripture, you're right. So I think one of the reasons the phrase social justice brings up so many emotions is because this is the definition we're thinking of. Again, I'm not getting into the political world at all. Please don't misunderstand. I'm dealing only with the actions that we as a church are required to do for people to see the love of Jesus, okay? But is this what everyone thinks? So I did, I did a little digging, trying to find out a more culturally relevant definition. Social justice, in a more cultural current way, is the view that everyone deserves equal opportunities. Now that sounds a little closer to maybe something we can get behind, right? Everyone deserves equal opportunities. I think we would say everybody deserves an equal opportunity, like the right to pursue economics, uh, an ec economic stability or, or a favorable economy for yourself. You have that, right? To pursue equal opportunities in regards to politics or to social opportunities. And over the years, just so you understand a little bit about what is coming out, out of that, those benefits and rights have come to include things like public education, which most of our kids are involved in, access to health care, which we all appreciate, social security for our retirement, the right to organize. These are all things that come out of this social justice spectrum. Even other public services like progressive taxation. The more you make, the more you get taxed, right? Regulations of markets to ensure fairness, equal opportunity, equal outcome, no gross social injustice. These are all things that are involved in the understanding of social justice, especially in its current understanding. So it's easy to understand how we can struggle so much with the idea of social justice. And I think it's because not everybody understands it the same. That's why I don't really want to, probably you won't hear me use the word social justice very much after this because I don't want us to be confused, bring what I'm telling you into the political realm or arena and, and try to make it fit that. I don't want it to be understood as social justice necessarily. And besides, I'm not sure that the words social justice really capture what we're talking about. I, I, when I imagine being a conduit, 
of God's love to others, that's not the words I think of. So now that we understand a little bit about social justice, let's back up and just talk about the word justice. Maybe it would help if we took a look at that for just a minute. Um, Aristotle, he wrote a book called Politics, if you're into such thing. <laughs> said I wasn't going to bring politics into it, but I did not mean the book <laughs> or the, the writing. This is what he said. Justice ensures that individuals both fulfilled their societal roles and received what was their due from society. That's what he said. So... The Bible reading confuses me, sorry. <laughs> Who could be against justice? If there's one thing that the laws and the prophets and especially Jesus agreed on, it was that justice for all, regardless of background or social status, is warranted. They all agreed on it. In fact, I would say that one of the things that we could all agree on is we want to see justice, right? I mean, it's the reason we watch the movie from the beginning to the end when the guy's daughter gets kidnapped and we want to see justice for the kidnapped child, right? And he's going to go and he's going to fight the bad guys and he's going to rescue his daughter and the bad guys are going to be thrown in jail. That's justice. And we want to see it and it causes us to want to watch the movie and I catch myself rooting for the justice to happen because I want to see justice. I think most of you would agree with me. So if this is justice, punishing wrongdoing, give, giving people what they've earned, what do we do with injustice? What happens if the kidnapped daughter does not get returned? but in fact is a sad, sad ending and gets involved in human trafficking somehow. That's an injustice, right? We want to see justice. According to N.T. Wright, he wrote a book called uh, Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense, N.T. Wright. He said, Our longing for justice comes with the kit of being human. Unfortunately, although we all strive for justice, we often fail to achieve it. And it gives this illustration. You fall off your bicycle and break your leg. You go to the hospital and they fix it. You stagger around on crutches for a while. Then, rather gingerly, you start to walk normally again. There is such a thing as putting something to right, as in fixing it, as getting it back on track. You can fix a broken leg. You can fix a broken toy, a broken television. So why can't we fix injustice? It isn't for lack of trying. And yet, in spite of our failure or inability to fix injustice, we as people, and especially as Christians, we dream of the day when all things will be made right. We long for the time when all injustice is brought to justice. Wright contends this, Christians believe this because all humans have heard deep within themselves the echo of a voice which calls us to live with a dream for justice and followers of christ believe that in jesus that voice became human and did what had to be done to bring it about the holy spirit is speaking to us causing us to long for justice causing us to want to see injustice brought right causing us to want to see people get their dues 
Now, looking at justice a little bit, let's bring it to the Bible. What do the scriptures say about justice? Uh, Tim Keller, again, you realize it takes a lot of research to write a message, right? So, uh, forgive me, uh, quoting another book here. Tim Keller, he wrote a book called Generous Justice. You guys all know Tim Keller or Timothy Keller, right? The author and preacher. All right, so in, in this book, Generous Justice, he really digs into two Hebrew words that deal with justice in the scriptures. And, and the first of these words is mishpat. Mishpat. Judgment or decision by arbitration, acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case. This is what mis, uh, mishpat refers to. It's the Hebrew word for justice. It occurs over 200 times in its various forms in the Old Testament. And its most basic meaning is treating people equitably. Okay? And, and by doing it this way, acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case. Regardless of race or social status, every person deserves to be acquitted or punishment or punished, excuse me, based on the merits of the case. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. That's Mishpat. But as with most Hebrew and Greek words, if you dig into the subtlety and, and the, the way that it's used and some of its surrounding understanding, it means more than the punishment of wrongdoing. That's what we hear when we hear justice. That's what we see is punishment for wrongdoing. But it also means giving people their rights. And I'll use Deuteronomy 18, for instance. If you read in Deuteronomy 18, uh, God tells the people that the priest should get a percentage of the money that's brought in as their wage, as their, as their mishpat, as their due. That's the word that's actually used. They should get a percentage. So it's, it's not only um, judging somebody they interpret the word mishpat, in this case, as due. So it's giving them their due. It's, it's giving people what they have coming, whether punishment or protection or care. This is why, if you look at every case of the Old Testament, uh, let me not, I'm not going to use that broad of a term, nearly every time in the Old Testament, uh, several classes of people come up when the word mishpat is used over and over and over again it describes taking up the care of widows, orphans immigrants and the poor interesting that the word used for justice by the Hebrews by the Israelites in their original language would be used to talk about taking up the, the care and cause of widows, orphans immigrants and the poor because it means more than just a judgment of a wrongdoing. It also means people getting what they have due, and as part of what they have due, God has asked us as Christian people, first in the Old Testament as His followers, and then later in the New Testament as followers of Jesus, to take up the mishpat, the care and cause of 
widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. Interesting, right? So in ancient societies, you have to understand that those four groups had no power. They had no ability to make it for themselves. Today, we might say they lived hand to mouth, meaning they were very poor. And it would only take a, 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 a sickness to sweep through or a, a war or battle to come on, and they, ha- they would have no stockpile, no, and uh, many of them would die because they just had no power, no ability, no social standing, which is why God said it's our job to care for them, to care for those who can't. Timothy Keller says that today that group would be expanded to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, many single parents and elderly people. He concludes that the mishpat or justness of a society according to the Bible is evaluated by how it treats these groups. That's how society is evaluated by their mishpat, by their justness. Any neglect shown to the needs of those, particularly those four groups in the, in the scriptures is not called merely a lack of mercy or charity, but it is a violation of mishpat. So going back to the kidnapped daughter, if you don't take care of the homeless or the immigrant or the poor or the orphan, then you have violated God's heart to the same extent that the kidnapped daughter who didn't receive justice violated yours. It's deep for God. This is what He has called us to do. This is what He he wants from us. So this is what it means to do justice. If we're going to do justice, this is what it means. So why do we care? We should be concerned about the vulnerable ones, but why? Just look at Psalm 68. God is introduced as the defender of these vulnerable groups. If that's God's heart, then that must be your heart, my heart. Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, the author uh, introduces God as a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. This is one of the main things that God does in this world. He takes up the cause of the powerless. But he takes up their cause through us. So we should absolutely have a strong concern for the poor. But the Bible's idea of justice goes beyond that. We said two words, remember? We get further insight when we consider a second Hebrew word that can be translated as being just. But many places when this word is translated, they translated it as righteousness. It's interesting, right? Being just and righteousness. And the word is, to help you pronounce it, sidequa. I can't say it as well as uh, I'm sure somebody who speaks Hebrew could say it, but the Z has an S sound, sidequa. In Hebrew, okay, let me go ahead. Um, so this is 
translated as being just and being righteous. In Hebrew, in the original Hebrew language, understanding one being just is to understand the other being righteous. So the two for them were understood the same. This word refers to a, a life of right relationships, living right with each other. So when most of us see the word righteous in the Bible, we tend to think of righteousness in terms of private morality, like sexual purity or having a rigorous Bible study or a rigorous prayer time. It's, we individualize the, the word righteousness. But in the Bible, zedekah refers to day-to-day -day living where a person conducts themselves in a right relationship with society, with others. And do you remember we talked about this when we were talking about um, the idea of uh, righteousness being sanctification full of the Spirit is not just for us. It's for all of us, right? It's a social holiness. This word refers to the day-to-day -day living that a person conducts in relationship with their family and their friends and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. So it's not really surprising to discover if you were translating the Hebrew, the Old Testament in the Hebrew, the two words would often be found together in the same place. They roughly respond to what people have called primary justice and rectifying justice. Two different types of justice. Primary justice and rectifying justice. I really feel like I should have a whiteboard today so I could be writing things down. I feel like, I feel like we're teaching. But hey, all the notes are online and then later on this message will be also podcast and, and on our website. So uh, make sure that you uh, follow along with it. This is so good and it's just two words, right? So why are the two often put together? Rectifying justice and primary justice. So rectifying justice is mishpat and it means punishing wrongdoers um, and caring for the victims of unjust acts. It's, it, it means both. So primary justice or zedeka is behavior that if it was prevalent in the world would make rectifying justice unnecessary. Because zedeka means we are living in right relationship with each other. Every uh, injustice is automatically taken care of, but there would be no injustice because we're all living together in right relationship. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is a place where there will not be a need for rectifying justice because we will all be living primary justice. And when Jesus prays, just a side tidbit, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, this is what he's praying for us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't just mean like I thought it meant for many years, help me to not sin against you. It means I'm taking up the cause of God to do justice. And as I have this social idea of what it means to live in right relationship with people, then I am bringing justice to all of them. So, two words, two different kinds of justice. Mishpat is rectifying justice, and in our world, that can mean prosecuting men who batter or exploit or rob women. 
It also can mean putting pressure on a local police department until they respond to crime in a lower income neighborhood with the same speed as they do an upper income neighborhood. It could also mean forming an organization that seeks justice for people who are targeted by shady loan companies and issue high interest loans to people who maybe shouldn't have that. You understand that? That's what this uh, rectifying justice is. It's, it's putting right things that are wrong. The second word, zedekah, it means primary justice and is taking the time to personally meet the needs of those around us, the handicapped, the hungry, the poor in our neighborhoods, working with a, a local school to help their education be better. It, it's, it's being directly involved to right not to write, but just to do justice for people. Primary justice, rectifying justice. So these two words do a good job of summing up what we're talking about. So I propose to avoid any confusion and to leave politics all the way out of it, why don't we call it biblical justice? With biblical justice if we're going to get involved in justice the way the Bible is teaching us, is not what some people think, especially those who don't go to church, that biblical justice means if I do something wrong, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt. Biblical justice is multifaceted, a large idea of righting wrongs and being kind and generous to people. <coughs> I think that for the church, we are more okay with being generous to people and doing things. And listen, we have at our church the opportunity to do many things. And we're, we're trying to create more. The uh, uplift ministry that we're trying to feed the hungry. We, I was talking with Heather about that, and she's applied for numerous grants to try to help us be able to even expand our reach beyond the capacity of the local church finances. Pray about that, by the way, because this is something we want to do. But that's just one thing. That's just feeding the hungry. You're interested in human trafficking? We can help you out there, too. Steve and Amanda Pettit and the, the uh, awesome ministry that they've started. We can get involved in that. That is a rectifying justice. And I think we have a little harder time as Christians to be involved in setting things right because that means we have to fight about something. But that's something that God has called us to, as I've explained to you, through the, uh, the way, the understanding of the biblical, the idea of biblical justice. This entire conversation brings up an interesting point, though. Are we supposed to call private giving to the poor justice? Or is that charity or mercy? And I would help us draw a distinction in that because I'm sure that many of you are giving to the poor. You are, you are doing things. Or if you're giving to the church, some of the things that we try to do is to help those that need help. But see, charity is an optional activity. Charity is something that you can choose to do or not to do. 
I think thinking that way means that we don't have to care about the poor. We're just helping them out out of compassion and charity, right? My problem with that is that that idea that charity conveys a good but optional activity. Charity is not a requirement. It doesn't mean that we have to do. It doesn't, charity doesn't fit with the balance or the strength of the biblical teaching of justice. In the scripture, gifts to the poor are called acts of righteousness, right? As in Matthew 6, 1 through 2. So if, if giving to the poor acts of righteousness, then what do we call stinginess? What do we call the um, failure to give to the poor? Is that an act of unrighteousness? Or is it better described a violation of God's law? We don't want to think about that. That's hard. Job calls every failure to help the poor. Listen to this, Job 31, you can read it. Every failure to help the poor, a sin offensive to God's splendor and deserving of judgment and punishment. What Job is saying in that is that for him, it would be a sin against God if he were to behave as if the things that he had, because you remember he was wealthy, if he behaved like those things were his alone. If he didn't share the bread with the poor, that would be considered unrighteousness. That's what Job says. A violation, by definition, a violation of God's justice. So at the end of the day, the scriptures draw a line between justice as legal fairness and charity as sharing. And there's numerous scripture passages that uh, make radical generosity one of the marks of living justly. The person who is just lives a life of honesty, equality, and generosity in every aspect of their life. Honesty, equality, and generosity. And you can see why I, I want to keep any political tones out of this because our responsibility as followers of Christ is primary to anything of uh, politics or the country or the governance. God first. God always first. We are a citizen of His kingdom primarily. And then a citizen of the United States. And we want to be a good citizen of the United States. But we've got to live honesty, honestly, equitably, and generously as followers of Jesus. Or else nobody knows. So what? We're, we're getting ready to close. Here in a few moments, we're going to have communion together. It turns out that social justice doesn't really capture, I don't think, what God has called us to do as Christians. I, but I think biblical justice does. I think biblical justice gets to the core of what God has for us. What I mean is, if you're trying to live your life in accordance with the Bible, the concept of the call to justice is inescapable. It's not something we can escape. We do justice when we give all beings their due as creations of God. Did you hear that? We do justice 
when we give all human beings, all creations, their justice. Because they're all from God. And, and it's what God has called us to do. Biblical justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but being generous, being socially concerned, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. So, I think that as we know these things that God has called us to as his followers, we have to remember that he is first for us. And so when we talk about things like, and, and then we're going to do this over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about ways that we can let our love be known to people. We're going to talk about biblical justice and ways that we can be conduits of His grace and, and help people receive their due as creations of God. Things like uh, human trafficking that we already have talked about. Things like feeding the hungry, taking care of widows and orphans and uh, immigrant refugees and the migrants and the migrant worker, helping the poor and the homeless, assisting single parents and elderly people, seeking equality for people no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their gender. And this is why I say we have to rise above politics because if we want to talk about uh, equality for race right now, people have a political flag that goes up, but that's not what we're doing. We are following the call of God to do justice. I guess my question for us today is, are we ready to be the people that God has called us to be? It's more than simply saying that you love somebody. It requires action. You remember how we defined love? Seeking the well-being of others. And then to see how firm God is with justice and to know what His heart is and to understand that when I see an injustice, something that stirs me up like the kidnapped girl. That's the same way that God gets stirred up about me doing injustice to somebody because I didn't take care of them. So God, this morning, we just ask that you would help us to be all that you have called us to be. That you would help us to be the people that you have called us to be. And Father, that we would seek primary justice and rectifying justice in every area of our lives. I pray you would open the doors, that you would bring these situations to us, that you would help us to understand when we see an injustice, how to correct it. Thank you for teaching us. May we be 
all that you have called us to be. Help us to be generous people. Help us to be people of equality. Help us to be honest in our dealings. Thank you, God. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name.